Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. Today we're going to be talking about something I think is on a lot of people's minds in that how is COVID-19 and everything that's going on around the world right now, how is that affecting real estate and what are we seeing in terms of what's going on in the market, has our strategy changed and some predictions and, and what we think is going to change as a result of all this. As of this recording, it's March 27th, so a lot can change as we're all seeing. A lot of things change day to day, but it's March 27th, and we're going to talk about what we're seeing right now. So first and foremost, I want to say I hope everyone is staying safe, practicing social distancing. Obviously, real estate investing is what you're tuning in for, but first and foremost, hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. So guys, how are you doing? How are you personally doing? Where are you guys right now? So I'm good. Thankfully, I'm down in Southern California, uh, keeping my mom company. We came down here and are hanging out in TGIF. That's all I got to say. It's been a, a hectic week. I think things seem to evolve by the hour here, but everyone's safe and sound and healthy. So no complaints. Tom, how about you? I'm doing well, doing excellent. I have my four month old son, get to hang out with him and my wife. And we recently had an au pair join us who it's been fantastic and being able to have some extra help with the baby and being able to get some work in like today recording with us today. That's awesome. That's great. Is the au pair from the States or from a different country? She is from Peru. Nice. Is she doing well with given the whole situation? Like welcome to America lockdown. <laughs> I feel bad. We'll, we'll get to do a bunch of traveling around California and all fun stuff as soon as this social distancing is up. But so yeah, no, seriously, it's like the timing is just kind of brutal. Not that is there's ever good timing. Have you guys attended a virtual happy hour yet? Yeah, they're awesome. It's a super great way to stay in touch with people. And we have a good friend over in Spain and they're on like total, total lockdown, cannot leave the house. People are getting fined and jail time. So she was desperate for some other human connection. So that was really nice to be able to touch base with her. And but no, it's, it's a really great idea to get together with other friends. I started a house poker game. So play for free using poker stars, but you can set up a private club and just invite a bunch of people. So we turn Zoom on, we're playing cards and, you know, cracking a beer. It's been a great way to engage with friends. And honestly, it's like some friends that I haven't seen that I wouldn't have seen if this wasn't happening because, you know, maybe they're living in New York or whatnot and everybody's on and making fun of each other and all that good stuff. That's great. I've actually noticed that I've, been calling and FaceTiming with friends more than I usually do because we're all just stuck at home and have a little bit of extra time and no, we're not going to, you know, potentially see each other on the weekends. So it's been so many FaceTimes and it's interesting that I'm talking to friends and family more now, but it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I saw this meme the other day that if a friend calls you and says, Hey, we haven't caught up in a while. What's going on? You can no longer say I didn't have the time or I just <laughs> want a relaxing night in. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, glad you guys are all doing well at home. Let's jump into some questions that I have for us. So I want to start with talking about what we're actually seeing in the market. We have a unique perspective in that we operate a marketplace at Roofstock. We're close to a lot of what's happening in real estate. So Tom, do you want to speak about what you're seeing and hearing from other people in terms of lending? I think one thing that's been interesting is that the Fed has lowered interest rates, but some people are actually seeing that mortgage rates have gone up. So do you have some insight into why that's happening? 
Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. And this is not my own thought. So there's a there's a, an economist named John Burns, who's a really well-respected thought leader in the space. And there are a few things happening. One, there's been this huge rush for refinancing with the rates being so low, people are trying to lock in those rates. So the originators themselves are a little bit overwhelmed. That's just supply and demand. And the second piece is there hasn't been much liquidity in the secondary market. So you guys remember mortgage-backed securities, just the 10-second the lesson is we have mortgage originators who are getting the original loans made. And what they do is they sell the mortgage they originate on the secondary market. And that allows the mortgage originators to have more liquidity because they get their money back and can originate more loans. So what's happened in the secondary market is it's frozen up and there's not a lot of liquidity. And what has happened, and I, I believe it's it, it has happened, is the government has stepped in to buy these mortgage-backed securities or MBSs. Um, as this cycles through and the demand for refinancing starts to slow down, I predict that mortgage rates will actually drop back down in lockstep with the way we're seeing interest rates. Typically, the mortgage rates are roughly 2.5% north of what the that, that Fed level is at. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the not too distant future, and this is a crystal ball, I, I'm not sure about this, but kind of based on what on these two factors, I wouldn't be surprised in pretty short order that we're able to get interest rates south of 3%. I know we're all hoping for that. And I'm going to hold you to it, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to come banging on yeah. your door if you're not right. Okay, good. I'll be waiting. <laughs> Tom Schneider promised sub 3%, Mr. U.S. Bank, what's going on? Yeah. And again, you know, this is just looking at of those two factors, because I think the demand is going to cycle through, right? And the same thing with the government coming in and, and adding some liquidity in the secondary market, which is going to allow these originators to take on more stuff. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yep. The next kind of thing I want to get into around what we're seeing in the market is for actual closing. Let's say you're already in escrow, you know, you got to deal with title and appraisal and inspections. And with a lot of these offices closing, people working remotely, appraisers, inspectors can't get into homes. So one other thing I've noticed is that if you're in escrow, timelines are getting delayed. Are you guys seeing similar things, hearing similar things from investors who are already in a transaction? Yeah. So just as you were kind of alluding to, appraisers in these like more in-person type of activities are getting put on hold. So there is a queue of transactions that we're working through at the marketplace at Roofstock. But, you know, because of social distancing, some of them are getting held up, you know, and appraisers is one piece of it. Inspectors are another. Actually, the, the county offices where title is being done and the, the recorder's office is that it is slowed down and some of them have shut down. And as this pandemic, fingers crossed, as it cycles through, we'll be able to get back to business as usual. But these core functions that are part of the transaction have been really put on hold in, in some cases. And that's not all areas and counties, but as generalities that we're seeing out there. And I think that just goes to that we should be remembering the human factor in all of this and that if things do take a little bit longer to try to be a little bit understanding and sympathetic and empathetic to the folks that are really affected. Something that I experienced was I was trying to get some insurance quotes done for an existing property, not an existing transaction, but was looking to change my insurance program a little bit. 
And it just, I didn't get a response for two weeks. So I reached back out to the agent. I said, Hey, what's going on? And he goes, dude, honestly, we're all just working from home right now, trying to deal with all these technical issues. And between the time that they left the office and are trying to get set up at home, they've got four or five days of backlogged work. So I think everybody's just playing catch up uh, if they can still work. And some people just physically can't get places to do the work that needs to be done. Like you said, Tom, the inspectors and some of the title officers, that stuff is just getting put on hold in some instances. Yeah. So I'm curious, what are you guys seeing going on with just your own portfolios? Like what have you been hearing from your property managers and yeah, how is this affecting you so far? Yeah, I'll jump in first. So one thing that's happened across the board is all eviction related activity has been put on hold. That means, you know, no delivering three-day notices or any of that kind of stuff. I've received some information from our property managers related to that and not processing any evictions with late payments, which is, you know, again, to this kind of human side of it and safety and social distancing. That's been the biggest thing. I think I'm going to learn a lot in April, just as this next cycle comes through, next month comes through. So it's, it's still very much in learning mode of what's happening. I know that I've heard from several property managers that there's some people who make their living has been completely disrupted and rent is going to be very difficult. And I know a path that I've heard from some property managers that I think is really reasonable is taking it at a case-by-case basis and being human about it. We'll talk a little bit more in the episode of looking into a crystal ball into the future. And I think we're all optimistic we can cycle through, unlike other major issues we've had in the past economy, most of the infrastructure is intact. So I'm hoping that once the, the dangerousness of this virus, as it cycles through, we're able to move pretty quickly back to short order to life as we know it. Fingers crossed. That's what I'm hoping for. And I, I agree, Tom. I share that sentiment that this, if we have a long-term horizon, I mean, this is going to be a blip on the radar. I hope yeah. in the grand scheme of things, we're going to look back, hopefully in short time and say, oh, remember that crazy coronavirus? Well, okay. Back to what we were doing. Yeah. And you know, I'm not sure that I mentioned it, but some of the policy with the property manager that I've seen, and I think is a really reasonable one is looking at the situation on a case by case basis of that tenant, and then offering some sort of support or forgiveness for that month or, or, or whatnot. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think doing it with a super broad brush is not the right way to go about it. But being a human and looking at case by case. Yeah, that's the approach that my property managers have taken as well, kind of across the board as taking it on a case by case basis. I was chatting with him one of them yesterday and we we're kind of game planning and he says, so this is kind of how we're handling it. And folks can approach us and say whatever issue they're having, if there's any financial hardship. So he told me that somebody called in yesterday and says, oh, I have financial hardship. I can't pay rent. And so my manager said, okay, no problem. Just uh, if you could send, fill out this piece of paper and send us your contact for your employer. And the guy goes, well, I don't have it. And so my manager says, so how do you call your employer to let them know that you're sick for, for work, for instance? And he goes, Oh, you know, on second thought, don't worry about it. I'm all good. And so it's like, guys, come on. Like there are clearly people who are going to try to take advantage of the nicety and of the system and of the situation, which is a real bummer. But there are in fact, people really falling on hard times and that can't make rent. So absolutely. I'm working with people every time, every step of the way, trying to be as human and as sympathetic as possible while also having a game plan to go forward. Because at the end of the day, we as owners also have bills to pay. And if we're not collecting rent, we might not be able to pay those mortgages or keep the utilities on, which in then turn means people don't have a place to live. So it's an entire ecosystem that's getting a little bit disrupted at the moment. So 
having a game plan to figure out, okay, if they miss rent this month, how do we get them back on track? And how do we make sure we can keep the lights on for the other people that are living there or, or for the folks that are living there? That makes Emil, sense. what have yeah, you- Yeah, Emil. Ooh, my turn. I'm in the same boat as you guys. I actually, I know my property managers are so inundated right now that I haven't proactively reached out to anyone to say, hey, do we do we have anyone we know is falling on hard times right now and is not going to pay rent next month? I'm almost just, I always like to keep worst case scenario in my head. I'm just assuming I'm getting no rent next month. And if I get partial payment or full payment, that's a cherry on top. But this is why we always preach or we will always preach that you should have you should have cash reserves, right? You shouldn't just be using every penny you get from your portfolio to either go out and buy new properties or use a supplemental income. You should always have some money set aside for a rainy day, whether it's big expenses, whether it's tenant unable to pay rent and you still have to pay your mortgage. Those are things that you try to prepare yourself for in case these situations happen. So always recommend that. I'm curious, have you guys reached out to any of your lenders yet asking for forbearance or learning about being able to basically like not pay your your mortgage for three months and instead it just gets tacked on to the end. So if you have a 30-year mortgage, it just continues on for an extra three months from when it would have ended. So I know large banks, some of them are just making it available. Some, you know, my lenders are a little bit smaller and you go on their site they have a forbearance request form. So I'm curious if you guys have already approached that or probably waiting to actually find out if your tenants are not even going to be able to pay yet before you approach that. I'll go ahead and jump in first. So I have not. The The mortgages that I have are pretty relatively small. There's a couple handfuls of them, but for each one, you know, we're talking about you know an $80,000 loan, $100,000 loan, and that works out to be what, like a three hundred or a four hundred dollar a month payment. So I haven't approached that yet. Heaven forbid this keeps longer. I'll probably approach that if needed come month two, month three. But since the total hit is relatively light, I will probably just stand pat until another month or two passes. If that does pass, which hopefully it does not. Yeah, I've reached out to my lenders and kind of front loaded some stuff. So on most of my commercial mortgages, I'm just going to continue to pay them regularly, independent of whether or not I receive rent, because at that point you touched on a meal that you've got to have reserves. You've got to be able to withstand a couple months of really bad times. So I'm thankful that that's, we're going to be okay there. On my big development project though, I've got an interest only construction loan that becomes fully amortizing in August of this year. And so I reached out and I said, hey, we're getting kind of behind schedule here with people not being able to physically do construction. So we there might come a point in August when this note comes due that it's not going to work. The building's not going to be done. He says, yep, no problem. We'll work with you. We, we might just push out the interest only period back some additional months to give myself some more time to finish the construction. And then on a burr I just finished, we were going to be, I got half of the refinance money up front and then the other half was going to be coming once I got the building fully tenanted. And now we are just getting our certificate of occupancy. So we were just about to start advertising for tenants and this hit. And we're anticipating that people are not going to be moving because they don't have to, because evictions are stopping and there's going to be, people are going to be tighter on their funds. So I called him and basically explained what's going on. He says, look, let me know what you need. We might be able to release those funds early to you, even without the tenants in place. So a lot of these local folks, and these are both local lenders, are very happy to work with people. The last thing they want is to be foreclosing on a bunch of buildings all at once and putting them on their books. That's 
not what they're in business to do. So I found that they've been pretty flexible. Yeah, it's a good point to make that. Emil, have you, your property managers are so inundated. Do you take that same approach with lenders or have you been able to reach out to any of them? Are you planning on claiming forbearance? I have proactively reached out to lenders just given I know they're also being inundated, but I, I kind of want to get that conversation started now. I know it's probably going to take them a week or two to even respond to me. So I'm trying to get a little bit ahead of it and at least understand what my options are. Like if some of my tenants don't pay, is that grounds for forbearance? So I just want to be able to learn more and like get the conversation started with my lenders now. So if I do need it, I can ask for it. Again, I, I have reserves and I'll be okay. And like Tom, most of my properties, I think my most expensive property was around 120K I bought for right now. So the loan on them isn't huge and I have enough in reserves where I'll be okay for a while, but lenders are willing to work with us. And if we fall on hard, if our tenants are falling on hard times and banks are making that available, I at least want to have the conversation with them. I recommend that everybody have that conversation on the front end, because just like you said, it's, it puts you in a position of knowing as opposed to guessing. And so you're able to decide, okay, if A, then B, or if C, then D, and really have a, an action plan put together as opposed to April rolls around, April comes and goes, no rent comes in. You're like, oh shoot, I don't have rent. I'm not sure what plans are available to me. So I think just, again, front loading that information and putting together a battle plan is super crucial. And the other thing too, is I was chatting with a really close friend of mine who's a big time real estate investor as well. And he goes, Michael, there's no reason that you as the investor, as the owner have to take all the brunt of this. He goes, the government said people don't have to pay rent and but that mortgages are still due so there's no reason why we're not all in this together he says you're not the one that has to suffer he said it's a communal it's communal suffering if you will he said make sure that the you know you're not the only one feeling it banks have to feel it too as our tenants are feeling it so make sure that you ask for what you need and don't be shy about it and also remember that the squeaky wheel gets the grease their banks are super super inundated with refinance requests and forbearance requests so if you're not getting answers in a timely response sometimes you just got to be really obnoxious so to speak until you can get the service that you need and that you deserve yeah on a, a little bit of a tangent but but related with we're talking about lenders and property managers all being super overwhelmed shout out to all these service guys i feel like they're they're grinding yes. so hard right now big time um, big time you know, and, and going to the grocery store, the grocery workers, I see them restocking the shelves and it's salute to them. It's keeping the economy going when it's there's just such headwind of, I don't know, I just big shout out to grocery workers, FedEx, UPS, lenders, property managers, people who are, are keeping this economy going. Yeah. Doctors, nurses. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, hello. My wife's a nurse. So got to give a big shout out there. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk to you guys about how has your strategy personally changed as a result of this? We're only we're only a couple of weeks in, but I'm sure you guys are probably thinking about, okay, how does this affect me personally? How does this affect acquisition or just how I'm handling things in general? So, Michael, you want to you want to kick us off? What's going on for you personally right now? So, I wasn't in a buy cycle. I'm not I wasn't actively looking for properties. My eyes are definitely now more open. And if a good deal presents itself, I will find a way to purchase it. As far as kind of my day-to-day -day strategy, I just finished up a, a big rehab on an eight-unit building. And we've now got seven vacancies. We had one tenant in place during the whole rehab. And so now we've got seven units to fill. And that is a bit nerve-wracking. So something that I've done with my property manager is we've started to offer incentives. 
And we're doing that in, in the form of a couple different ways. One is uh, some dollars off the first month's rent if you move in by a certain date. And another one that I really like is if they can pay three months in advance, they can get 50% off the fourth month's rent. Because really what I'm looking for is, is some insurance and some security that somebody who moves in is going to move in and continue to pay rent. Because I think that's a very real possibility of people taking advantage of the system is, oh, great, I can move into this brand new apartment and just not pay rent because they can't kick me out. Mm. And it's a shame that we have these professional tenants. They really screwed up for a lot of the people that, that need the help, especially in dire times. So we're giving incentive to folks. We're advertising as hard as we can, and we're trying to make it easy for people to move in. There's another thing that my property manager was telling me about the other day called Rhino Insurance, which he was explaining to me. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's basically the tenant can pay their security deposit over time and utilize this insurance company. I've, I've got to do some more looking into it, but have either of you guys heard of this Rhino Insurance? No. That's really, I think, the biggest change because I've never done incentives before. We've never had a need to. But now with things definitely slowing down, we're thinking that's going to be beneficial and, and potentially critical for my business. So that's something we're changing up. Tom, what about you? So there's a couple of aspects related to current strategy. So one thing that I've been working on that I think really I want to double down into is the self-directed IRA just looking at the fluctuations of the stock market, you know, it's been a rocket ship for the last nine years, but there is just a ton of volatility. I mean, it's neck breaking looking the S&P go up and down from day to day. So continuing to take some funds out of equity using a self-directed IRA and buying with that. So getting a little bit more on the real estate side with regards to stepping out of equities, that hasn't necessarily changed, but just really kind of double down in my motivation or moving forward on that. The other piece is probably will be refinancing a bunch of my properties, assuming that my assumptions around the rates, uh, they'll continue to go lockstep with the government buying the MBSs and the originators getting a little bit more capacity as they digest all the refinances they've had. I think that rates are going to continue to go down. So I'm going to be refinancing a couple of the properties. And to the point that Michael was saying around acquisitions, I oftentimes when there's some fog in the air and it's not super clear, it can create opportunities to buy. So I want to be ready. So I, you know, I'm getting some of that powder ready by refinancing my properties, as well as moving some of my IRA into a self-directed IRA. So looking again on the acquisition side and being targeted. On the operation side, so I have a lease that's coming up to the end and I may have more aggressively pursued, oh, can we increase the rent? And I think I'm a little more conservative with regards of holding occupancy up versus rent growth. And that's a common debate as a real estate investor. Do I want rent growth or do I want to make sure occupancy? In these uncertain times, I want to make sure occupancy. So being more conservative about occupancy, if that means keeping the rent tree, then dipping down a little bit lower. I'm okay with that. So those are the, the main three pillars that I'm thinking about with COVID-19. Hey, Tom, just to piggyback off your tangent, with your self-directed IRA and taking money out of securities and looking to invest that into real estate, personal question for you. If you've had securities that has seen a loss, are you willing to sell those or do you only sell the gains? I want exposure with equities. I want exposure in stock, but I just want to shrink that number. So when I set up one of my retirement accounts through work, 
I almost always click, oh, reinvest the dividends, reinvest the dividends. And for whatever reasons, I didn't click reinvest the dividends. So I've had some funds coming off into cash. So I'm probably going to leave the funds that I have in that IRA uh, Got it. to roll with the punches just because it's important to be balanced with your investing. But I want to balance a little bit, tilt a little bit more in real estate right now, just in watching the volatility that we've seen. That makes sense. And you brought up a great point. I'm also doing a lot of refinancing too. I just wanted to get that out there for everybody. <laughs> All right, Emil, how is your strategy evolving or, or thoughts? Yeah, so I was actually on pace to go and buy a new property this month. And a big part of that was I was in escrow to sell one of my properties I actually have. So it was set to close, I think, this week, and the buyer unfortunately had to cancel the transaction because she owns a pediatric clinic and she had to close down right now with all the lockdowns. So her business, her life is very much in flux, which I totally understand. So she had to cancel, which makes sense. So I was relying on those funds from selling this property to go out and buy a new property. And if you remember, I covered on a couple episodes ago on my making moves, I was also planning on raising money with family to buy my next property. And so right now, just given both of those things, I'm probably on a little bit of a hiatus, still trying to sell this home. And I've talked to my family. I think we're probably all in just in the short term, probably taking a little bit of a step back on buying. I think I'm probably going to wait probably like a couple more weeks, probably till the end of April and then probably make a decision from there. But I mean, one thing I actually want to get into is this kind of tangential, what we're talking about. I'm seeing a lot of people, especially newer people getting spooked, right? People who are brand new to real estate investing, maybe they're like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to invest in real estate now in the next 12 months, or should I just hold on to cash or what? And I actually see people who have bought properties in the past, so already existing real estate investors are actually going out and interested in buying more real estate. In fact, we did a survey at Roofstock to people who have bought multiple properties. And a lot of them are saying in the next 12 months, I think it was like 70%, don't quote me on that exactly, but it was a majority, overwhelming majority saying they're planning on going out and buying in the next 12 months. So I'm curious what is the view you're taking long-term for people who maybe are spooked in the short term? Good question, Emil. So talking to newer investors, I think regardless of the time, there are important things to make sure that you have in place. Make sure that you have some reserves. When you're getting involved as a real estate investor, it is a bit of a longer burn. It's not a get rich quick and it's not, oh, I want to gamble and push everything into the middle of the table. Good investors think about this type of risk and have plans for it. Now, what I think is the likeliness downside of this epidemic, uh, pandemic, excuse me, is there could be a month or two or even a little more of where rent might be not collectible, right? So for those reasons, they're making sure that when you go in, you have those reserves. Now, as I was alluding to a little bit earlier, Having been through the last cycle that we had, I mean, this cycle is, is different. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as the last cycle with regards to real estate prices. There can be opportunity with regards to prices if you get good financing on the property with regards to doing acquisition. So I would recommend focusing on the basics, making sure that you have reserves after you buy, 
and knowing what's the right level of risk tolerance that you want on a property with regards to reserves and all that good stuff. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Michael? What's kind of your thought process? Yeah. So for newer investors, I think you nailed it. I think a lot of people are really spooked by this. You know, a lot of seasoned investors are spooked too. I think that if you can identify good deals and good opportunities in any market, you stand to make money. So when people were saying, oh, the market is so top heavy, I was still buying deals because the numbers made sense. I'm more looking to the specific of the deals more so than, I guess, the, the world economy, if you will, while still taking into account what's going on in the world economy. And so I study a little bit of martial arts and it, there's this kind of unique thing about it. The human brain is kind of like movie clips. It starts and stops, starts and stops. And so if you can find the break between those two segments where something has stopped right before it starts, you can kind of catch somebody off guard. And so boxers look to do this a lot. And so I think right now we're kind of starting to see a break in the two clips, the start and the stop. And there might be some really great opportunities in that blip because people are kind of standing around waiting to see what happens. And if we can kind of keep our heads on a swivel looking for opportunities, I mean, we never know why someone might need to sell a property and sell a property quick. And unfortunately, desperate times can often create some really great opportunities for investors or give the opportunity to really help somebody out of a jam. If someone's like, hey, I got to sell this property yesterday and you're willing to buy it, I mean, you can often get a significant discount on the price for helping them out. So keeping your eyes open for those type of things and continuing to get really well educated, which is something we talk a lot about as part of the Roofstock Academy is, okay, if you're not comfortable buying, now is the perfect time to get educated because we're seeing a whole lot of change going on and you really want to be prepared such so that when you are ready, you are comfortable to make a move, you have the foundation to do so. And so for those people that have been educated, now might actually be a really great opportune time to strike. There's a lot of things you can do before you actually click buy or before you make the offer. That's building your buy box. That's evaluating a bunch of properties. That's talking to lenders. That's talking to property managers. So if you're a newer investor and saying, oh, I'm not sure if I want to buy or not, good news. There's a lot of things you can do that will put you in a position to make that decision if you want to buy or not without actually buying. So I would recommend to people that some of the things we talked about that Emil, uh, that uh, Michael talked about, like continuing to get educated. Roofstock Academy is a great spot for that. And there's a lot of other good resources on the internet, evaluating deals, talking to property managers, lenders, all that good stuff. Something that's also happening is there's a lot of anxiety generally speaking. And I, this is for myself, I know that action can alleviate anxiety and digging into your computer and learning more about real estate and talking to lenders, like that's an action. And just personally, I find that to be very helpful, be it digging into real estate. Another thing getting into is making bread, just keeping busy can do wonders with regards to mental states and, and all of that good stuff. So if you're on the edge of wanting to make the turn, good news. There's a lot of things you can do without actually clicking by but putting yourself in a position to when you are clicking by, you're just going to be that much better of an investor. Absolutely. Yeah. Wasn't it Warren Buffett who said, be scared when others are greedy and greedy when others are scared? That's a great quote. <laughs> that is a great yeah. quote. Yes. Emil, Absolutely. what are you telling new investors? I agree with both of what you guys are saying. Even if we're not trying to be biased here, it's always one message I had was just make sure you're sharpening the saw, right? Make sure you're getting better. You're at least 
thinking through, you're educating yourself, even if you're on the sidelines for now, so that when opportunities do arise, you're ready to jump on them. One thing, one little personal anecdote, in in 2017, I actually sold, I had some money in the stock market and I thought 2017, okay, this is the year of the recession, like so many people thought, right? We had a bull market for a long time, decided to sell all my stocks and I moved it into real estate. Since 2017, the market's gone up a lot. Recently, it's gotten tanked, but my point here is that you it's impossible to time the market, right? None of us know what's going to happen. No idea what's going to happen in three months, six months, 12 months. So to me, it's just sticking to the fundamentals. Am I buying cash flowing deals that make sense, that are good properties that make money every month? That's the strategy, right? You have to have a long-term view with this. The other thing is I know over the lifetime, right? If I'm holding a property for 20 to 30 years, my real estate tends to appreciate over time right? And your mortgage payment stays the same. So to me, it's, that's why I think we can all agree why we love real estate, right? It's to me, one of the, the best investments you can make. I know a little bias there, but that's what I love is that my mortgage payment, I'm using leverage and my mortgage payment is staying the same for 30 years, even while my, my rents and I have potential appreciation. So my long-term strategy stays the same, but you know, if you're not comfortable, it's just keeping your eye out for potential deals. But again, I, I just think it's impossible to time the market is kind of my philosophy now. It's just buying good deals whenever they're available. The other thing to note right now, there's, you know, a lot of people are spooked. So that's a lot less buyers you're competing with. So you have less competition. Typically, that means you may be able to find a better deal or at least negotiate with a seller. I know it's been a very short window so far. So I don't think a lot of sellers are dropping their prices 10, 20% overnight. You know, I think a lot of people are holding on to see what happens as well. But again, with less competition, that may mean there are some more opportunities out there. So a little bit of a a rant, but that's how I'm looking at this. All right. Should we just get into the last segment we want to cover, which is what do we think the new normal is? What do we think things are going to change? And again, an asterisk, a warning. These are just some ideas we have. Don't take them to heart. Don't come bashing our door down if this isn't what actually happens. Yeah, we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about real estate. What do we know? (laughs) (laughs) We're not economists. Yeah, exactly. We're just real estate investors. Tom. I'll tell exactly what is going to happen. Okay, exactly. (laughs) Everybody take notes. (laughs) So I worked a while, may have mentioned before, for one of the big publicly traded REITs. And at those times, we were working on implementing some Internet of Things, so getting it to be much more remote with regards to operating real estate. And I think those things are going to continue to really blossom in a time where it makes sense not to interact. So some simple versions of that would be keyless entry. So if I'm going to lease a property, not needing to be there, that type of technology has been picking up steam big time, not only on the real estate agent side of showing houses, but also on the leasing side. So there's a company, I believe it's called Rently, where you have a lockbox and you can give a special code to a potential tenant to look at the property. And it only is active for a certain amount of time. And this can be a way to show. And I think there's some interesting implications as a real estate investor with some of this technology. Potentially, we could have some sort of a self-management light where you can use some of these tools to manage the property from a ways away. We're not there yet, but I think as the Internet of Things continues to blossom, I think this sort of remote management is going to become more of a thing. 
My other thought is along the theme of remote is right now, so many people are working from home. And what I anticipate we're going to find is working from home works pretty good. I think a lot of companies were hesitant to do this, but I'm, this is again, my crystal ball is, I think this is going to become a bit of a new normal where there's a lot of benefits to an employer for allowing people to work from home. That's like less overhead on the office space. And what that allows people to do is I can have a job in New York and I can live in a town that is not New York. So as a real estate investor, I think potentially smaller cities with a less diverse economy could benefit from employers that are not within that city. So more remote work that's working well, I think that will continue to possibly less dense areas and spreading out a little bit more with regards to people living in cities that where their job is not located at. I'll let you guys cover the rest of the how the world is going to change. <laughs> I hope you're right regarding remote work. I uh, I work remotely and I'm a huge proponent. I think it's amazing. I don't think it's for everybody, but I would love to see more companies at least start offering the flexibility. Maybe it's part of your week is remote, part of it's not, or giving you know certain employees the benefit of allowing them to work remote. So I, I think this will be a big learning lesson for a lot of companies. And I agree with you. I think we'll see the rise of remote much faster than it was on pace for before. I'm going to throw a book recommendation out there. Daniel Pink Drive. It, it's about working. And I think it speaks to a lot of the aspects of being successful, setting up a successful remote environment and just like what are good incentives for employees. And it's changing. Daniel Pink Drive is the name of the book. So sorry, quick plug there. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. There's another one by the guys who started Basecamp, Jason Freed and David something, HH, DHH is his Twitter handle. I don't remember his full name, but they have one on, I think it's called remote or remote work. That's really good. And they've been one of the early remote working companies and pioneers as well. So that's another good book to check out. Michael, I'm going to flip this one over to you. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is going to happen? Crystal ball. Echoing Tom's thoughts, I think absolutely remote work is going to take off. And especially because people, I think at least a lot of people in my personal circle love it. They're like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. So I think employers are going to have potential mutiny on their hands if they all of a sudden tell everyone, yep, you got to come back to work. But everyone's thinking to themselves, wait, this, <laughs> I'm good at this. I already, I got my work done. Why do I have to be in an office now? So I think that absolutely with regard to the economics of things, not really sure. I mean, this $2 trillion bill that just got passed is going to be very interesting. It's going to be a huge stimulus for the economy. I do think this is going to pass. How long and when exactly, no idea. But with people not paying rent and owners still being beholden to mortgages, there's just a total imbalance there that doesn't quite work. So there's got to be some kind of relief or fix to the problem. So again, I think we covered it a lot in this episode with long-term vision that absolutely real estate will rebound, people will continue to pay rent, and real estate will continue being a great, great place to invest. Also one of the stablest places to invest because people always need a place to live. So those are kind of my two crystal ball predictions. Emil, you can have the scraps, man. What's what's left for you? Oh, I got I got to just really scrounge for something interesting here. <laughs> I was on Twitter the other day and someone shared this map. I wish I had the source, but it's this map showing all of a sudden a lot of these short-term rentals in cities where, you know, there's a lot of tourism, they're converting into normal rentals. And I don't know if this is a prediction, more just I'm curious to see what happens with just a lot of short-term rentals. So 
You take a New York City or a Paris, just a place where a lot of people travel to, and there's a lot of Airbnbs and short-term rentals being rented out all the time. Now that people are traveling, basically traveling's halted, what's going to happen to these? Will those owners be able to find long-term tenants and make it cash flow? I have no idea. You know, those are expensive cities. It might work as a short-term rental. It may not work as a long-term. I wonder if a lot of those short-term rental owners be selling. Will they be okay? That's not really a prediction, more just I'm curious to see what happens there over the coming months. This just goes to show, I've talked to a lot of students within the academy about short-term rentals and my thoughts on it. And I always say it can be a great, great product, but it has to make sense as a long-term rental because Airbnb laws are constantly changing around the world. Who knows when it's going to get ruled out of a city? Or I should have said, who knows when we're going to have a worldwide pandemic and I would have looked like a freaking genius, but it's true. <laughs> like we have to consider all things. We have to be flexible and nimble. And if it doesn't work as A, it's got to be able to work as B. And so being able to come back to the bread and butter of long-term rentals, there will always be a market for that, yep. that I'm very confident of. I like that point a lot, Michael. With almost all types of strategies, even if you're doing flicks and flip, uh, thinking about having properties as a long-term rental is oftentimes the backstop to everybody's strategy. Just because yeah. if you buy a house, fix it up, and it's suddenly worth three quarters the price that you cost to pay for it, it may make sense to hold it as a long-term rental until the market kicks back up. So long-term rentals are really the backbone to all real estate investing. Yeah. It might mean as you're evaluating that, you might have to put more money down to make sure it works as a long-term in, in case you know you change it from short to long. I don't know. I haven't done too much research there, but I think it'll change the dynamics of short-term rentals a lot. Yeah. Discretionary spending. You spend it on vacations and stuff. And if you're a little bit more conscious, I think that's one of the first things to go, that type of discretionary spending. Yep. Maybe we'll cover this in a future episode, but our business development team actually released a nine-page report called the Roofstock COVID-19 SFR Update. And there's some really interesting things in terms of our home prices going to dip really fast. How does 2008, the Great Recession, compare to what's going on now? I think I'm actually just going to leave it there as a teaser. I think we should do that as the next episode covering this report. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor, and we'll catch you next week. Happy investing. Stay safe.